Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available at Amazon in paperback and ebook, and volumes 1 through 9 and eventually volume 10 are available in audio format at iTunes, Amazon, and Audible as well. So please go out and buy 20 or 40 copies. And now, May I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How about you? Pretty good. Went out fishing today. and nice. uh, We got a beautiful day and uh, a little light on the fishing front. But, you know, we're not out there all that long. I got to pick my windows of time when I can go. Yeah. yeah. But we got a few stripers, uh, good-sized fluke. And a couple of nasty sea robins. <laughs> the cryptid of the sea. Yeah, they would. Def- if you had a, a, a sea robin walking around in the woods of Oregon, <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, man, there'd be some freaked out people running around up there. I'll tell Definitely you. creepy looking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm out at the coast here in North Carolina, Bill, and it is. Blowing like 40 miles an hour, or as we say, it's blowing the dog off the chain. Yeah! Or maybe even blowing the dog man off the roof. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're blowing the dog off the chain, there ain't going to be much left of him, is there? No, no. (laughs) No. Look. Look, Wilbur, his head's over there and his hindquarters <laughs> are over there. <laughs> yeah, so I, I tell you, man, I know we're not there yet, but folks, batten down the hatches because the tail of Bigfoot I got for you tonight Whoa, is just, good deal. just gonna freaking torment you for a month. A little parental warning. <laughs> yeah, I'm just telling you. Batten down the hatches. You may well, not be. Ri- you may not be ready for this, but I'm going to pull the trigger anyway. This could be a great episode then, because I got some good creepiness in the beginning. Okay. <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> a little creature feature. I love it. Yeah. Or, or Chiller Theater, right? Yeah, with the six fingers. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, go ahead, bro. Have at it. What do we got uh, 
cryptids in the news and other oddities segment. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I had a little bit of dog man on the brain, and not just because I looked out the second story window and <laughs> saw something with red eyes and pointy ears looking in at me. <laughs> By the way, I got to get some new windows, Bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, down there at the coast, they're getting... Uh... A little bit of lead went the other way. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Sorry, dog man. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I, I went uh, just searching around, you know, and looking about some good dog man stories and some good rougarou. Uh-huh. And I came across this legendary creature from folklore and myth- mythology from the Middle Ages hmm. in medieval France that I never heard of before. No kidding. Yeah, and this thing is called Bisclare. Bisclare. <laughs> I won't ask you to repeat that. Exactly. Well, I may say it a few times. Yeah, Bisclare. Bisclare. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, say it like you mean it, you uh, United States. Say it like States. you're chomping on a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a freedom prize. <laughs> but this creature, uh, Bliss, Bliss Claret, <laughs> is from the Brittany region of France. So the northern coast okay, up near Normandy is uh, Brittany. And uh, the name Bliss Claret, loosely translates to wolfman or wolf warrior in ancient French. Wolf warrior or wolf man? Yeah, so kind of like rougarou. Yeah. But this is in old French or ancient French. Wow, man. So it has a connection to the so-called werewolf archetype. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, hope you don't got your nail polish on. <laughs> <laughs> so according, and, and, and Bisclare uh, comes about in a uh, famous medieval lyrical poem by the same name by a woman called Marie de France. Okay. And according to her poem, Bisclare is a nobleman, French nobleman, who transforms into a wolf every week. Wow. And in the poem, his transformation is triggered by removing his clothing, symbolizing a connection between his human identity and his lupine or wolf form. Well, you know, you can't very well have a wolf running around in a pair of tight shorts. No, that that doesn't work, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or or tight shorts and beetle boots. Even even with his Lululemons on and beetle stompers uh, from Liverpool, that wouldn't work. But while he's in wolf form, he behaves like a typical wolf and roams the forest in northern France. And they say that the encounters with Bisclavre are often portrayed in a narrative context rather than real-life accounts. Right. So this poem by Marie de France recounts the story of a woman who marries Bisclavre without knowing his secret. Uh-oh. Yes. And she realizes 
that every week he disappears and and his reemergence as a wolf she betrays him by revealing his secret to another man this betrayal leads to bisclavere's imprisonment and only through a series of events and the intervention of the king here in the middle ages is he eventually released from his captivity wow so that's kind of the overall view of the story and then I can go into some of the details, which it even gets a little better. Oh, man. Bisclare. Yeah, Bisclare. <laughs> so this okay. character, Bisclare, is a baron. I said he was a nobleman, actually a baron in Brittany, who's well-loved by the king, although he vanishes, <laughs> excuse me, he vanishes every week for three full days. Hmm. No one in his household, not even his wife, knows where he goes. His wife finally begs him to tell his secret, and he explains that he is a werewolf. He also says that while in werewolf form, he needs to hide his clothing in a safe place so he can return to human form. So basically, the way he comes back from being a wolf is putting his clothes back on. You know, I always wondered, whenever Clark Kent dove into a phone booth, the first thing he took off was his glasses, and then the next thing you saw was him standing on the sidewalk in a Superman costume. <laughs> I wonder how many suits he went through. That's right, man. For you a know? newspaper reporter, right? Isn't that what he was? Yeah. Mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of cash on hand. Yeah. <laughs> Not like he's Bruce Wayne, right? No, no, Bruce Wayne was loaded. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, so uh, um, the Baron's <laughs> wife is so shocked by the news that she tries to think of ways she can escape her husband, right? Because huh. she doesn't want to lie beside him in bed anymore knowing that he's a wolf. So she conspires with a knight who has loved her for a long time. So, you know, an, an admiring knight gives her some ideas of what to do. The following week, the baron's wife sends the knight to steal her husband's clothing. When her husband fails to return, she marries the knight. The baron's people search for him, but finally relent, feeling that their absentee ruler has left for good. Hmm. Okay, so now it gets pretty interesting. <laughs> and no surprise, right? Because he's missing three days a week anyway. Exactly. A year later, the king goes hunting, and his dogs corner B Bisclare, now fixed in wolf form. Hmm. As soon as he sees him, Bisclare runs to the king to beg for mercy by taking the king's stirrup and kissing his foot and leg. This behavior so astounds the king that he has his companions drive back to dogs and everyone marvels at the wolf's nobility to the king and his gentleness. The king takes, <coughs> excuse me, king takes Bisclare, still in wolf form, back to the castle to live with him. Meanwhile, the knight who had married Bisclare's wife is invited to the castle for a celebration, along with all of the other barons. 
As soon as he sees him, Bisclavre attacks the man violently before anyone, uh, I'm sorry, he attacks the man. The king calls to Bisclavre and threatens him with his staff. Because he, av- he never acted so violently before, everybody in the court thinks the knight must somehow have wronged the wolf. Hmm. Soon after, the king visits the area where the baron used to live and brings the wolf along with them. Bisclavre's wife learns of the king's arrival and takes many gifts for him. When he sees his former wife, no one can restrain Bisclavre, and he attacks her, tearing off her nose. (laughs) 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 A wise man points out that the wolf had never acted so before and that this woman was the wife of the knight whom Bisclavre also recently attacked. The wise man tells the king that this woman is the former wife of the missing baron. The king has the wife questioned under torture, because that's how kings did it back then. Yeah, why not? A little little torture. Yeah, we haven't tortured anybody in a couple of weeks. A couple of days. We got this rack over here. We might as well use it. It's getting rusty. We get better depreciation off of it if we use it. <laughs> and the wife confesses all and yields up the stolen clothing. Uh. The king's men put the clothing before the wolf, but he ignores it. The wise man, again, advises them to take the wolf and the clothing into a bedchamber and let Bisclare change in privacy. Bisclare does so, and when he again sees him, the king runs to his beloved baron and embraces him. Mm. The king restores Bisclare's lands to him and exiles the baroness and her knight. Mm. Pretty wild, huh? Good night to the knight. Good night to the knight. Don't steal Wolfman's wife. (laughs) That's the moral to the story. Yeah, and of course, the Baroness is now having a hard time smelling her perfume. (laughs) (laughs) I could not even smell the fresh croissants. (laughs) What a freaked out story. And this all came about. A freaked out story from the Middle Ages. That is freaking strange, man. Pretty strange, right? And who wrote that again? Do you remember the name? The poem uh, that was written by a woman named Marie de France. Okay. Yeah. Marie de France. And if you look up the poem, there's a modern translation from 1996. I think it's from the University of Florida uh, that they translated it. It's a freaky-deaky poem as well. (laughs) covers this whole thing, and it's like a rhyming lyrical poem. That I guess in ancient English it was called a lay. Okay. L A Y, which I never heard of before. I had to look that up. And this is this is derived from uh, the medieval times. Yeah, Middle Ages. Wow, man! Oh, Middle yeah. Ages. Yeah. Jeez, that is just one strange tale, man. Uh, you know, from Brittany. Yeah, I wonder if the Rougarou uh, from uh, Louisiana. Has any ties well, he back? He definitely came from France later yeah. on in France, you know. Yeah. I yeah. think from the 1700s. So uh, I'll be going to France this summer, Bill. So now I know I got to look for the Bisclare. 
as well as Garou. Yeah, well, you know. And a warm croissant. <laughs> yeah, naturally. You got to have a warm croissant under the Eiffel Tower. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, now I warned you folks, and I'm going to warn you secondly about something else. There's some good old time religion tied to this oh, tale. Wow. And I'm telling you, when you're done listening to this, you might have a hard time sleeping tonight. (laughs) And let me say this. You know, Kev, remember the uh, story about Priest Lake? Oh, yeah. And I know Priest Lake. That's right. Well, you remember that guy was up there and that preacher man came out of the woods dressed in the old garment? Yeah. And uh, he had something to say to him, and then he flipped open a Bible in the glove compartment of his truck, and there was a scripture reference there that had meaning to what had happened. I don't remember the whole thing off the top of my head, but just listen to this. Just when I thought that things couldn't possibly get any stranger, along comes this account, as told to me by Deacon Dennis Pearson a resident of Los Angeles, California. A guy who was not always a deacon, as you will soon find out. This is what Dennis had to share. The story that I'm about to tell you, Bill, actually happened in 1989 when I was 27 years old. I first noticed the man as I was sitting on my tailgate at a truck stop, drinking a cup of coffee and looking over my map for a location in regards to my fall hunt up north. For whatever reason, across the parking lot and standing on the other side of a four-lane road, a tall man wearing a Hawaiian-style shirt and blue jeans, had caught my attention. Again, I can't explain why, but I felt like he was looking directly at me as my eyes lifted from the map to see him. As the traffic broke with the change of the lights, the man proceeded to walk across all four lanes heading right towards me. His gaze was fixed on me the entire time he walked, and something inside of me said, He is coming to talk to you. That's all I can say. I looked back down at the map, trying not to pay attention to him or what I was thinking, when suddenly I looked up and he was but feet away from me saying hello. This guy was about seven feet tall, and his skin was flawless. He had a piercing look to his eyes, and within the first minute or so, I realized he wasn't blinking, and I do mean not blinking at all. He said to me his name was Angel, and without so much as asking me, he sat on the tailgate next to me. I noticed almost immediately 
that the buttons on his shirt had been buttoned out of order. In other words, he had started on the wrong button, beginning on the bottom and consequently at the top by his neck. The one side had no button fixed in the slit, if you can follow that. Now, mind you, I'm sitting on the tailgate with my map open, having said nothing to him about what I was doing, who I was, or what the map was in reference to. He then looked at me directly in the eye and said, So you're a hunter. I said to him, How did you know I was a hunter? He looked at me and said, well, the pickup truck and the map of the Northwest Country pretty much clued me in. The very next thing he said to me was this. Do you believe in God? I responded to him, no. He then said, well, you know, if there isn't a God, then it really doesn't matter, does it? But if there is, such a creator will certainly require that his grandest creation give an account to him for their actions. He stood up right in front of me and was towering over me. With that, he extended his index finger on his right hand and placed it directly on the forest location which I was planning to hunt in on the map. He then said to me the following, A forest like that can hide many things, some of which can change a man's mind in a hurry. Without so much as saying goodbye, he said to me, God is always there when you need him. And he walked away. I sat there somewhat stupefied as this man walked away in a completely different direction than that which he came, and he disappeared behind a building. It was in October that I made my way into the timber on the northwest side of Kluchman Rock, between it and the southernmost fork of the Clearwater River. I had three days' supplies and my rifle which was loaded and on safety. It was on day two late in the afternoon when I had stopped to lean against a tree and take a breather that I had apparently nodded off. As I opened my eyes and thinking I was in a dream, crouched down in front of me with its face so close to me that I could smell its breath was an enormous Sasquatch. It had shocked me so much that I initially threw my head backward, slamming it against a tree I was resting against, after which my eyes were focused directly on the beast. It extended its hand towards me with the evilest grimace that I had ever seen, and I thought myself, or thought to myself, that I was a goner for sure. His smell was horrific, and his head was as big as a large watermelon set end to end, being oblong in shape and very wide. Its breathing was steady and rhythmic, 
as he started to open his mouth and show me his teeth. It was then that the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel started to roll out of my mouth. Dear St. Michael, our Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the souls of men. When I opened my eyes, I was laying in the bed of my pickup truck with my backpack and my gun lying next to me. I started to feel the scratched metal bed of the truck with my hand and began to sit up. I was now looking around and touching everything, not knowing what had transpired and thinking I was losing my mind. I grabbed my gun and it was unloaded and my pack was totally intact and sitting in the corner of the bed. As I sat there in my mind's eye, which is the only way that I can describe it, appeared the face of the man from the truck stop many months earlier. But now he was glowing and radiant. He said to me, God is always there when you need him. And his vision faded away. His words started ringing in my ears about how a forest like that can hide many things and how some of them can change a man's mind in a hurry. Well, change my mind it did. As you now know, Bill, I have never again told anyone that I don't believe in God. And since the experience which I had that day, I have become a deacon in my church. What are you thinking of, Kim? Wow. <laughs> and where did this take place? Well, he said he was by Kluchman's Rock and I believe the Clearwater River. But he was from Los Angeles in California okay. uh, when he had this encounter with this seven-foot-tall, perfectly-skinned man who didn't blink, and his shirt was un- wasn't buttoned properly. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what do you make of it? Is it a flesh-and-blood encounter, an angel encounter? I mean, before St. Michael, the archangel, I mean, this, this gentleman with the imperfectly but- buttoned shirt and perfect skin, what do you think? I think it was some type of uh, pre-warning. Okay. You know, like he, he was trying to get this guy before something bad happened to like him. Like running into a Bigfoot. Yeah. Okay. And he did tell him, you know, words to the effect of, you know, there are things in these woods that a man doesn't necessarily want to meet up right. with. Right. So you think it was uh, like a, an angel of sorts and then, but that the... The Bigfoot was indeed a flesh and blood Bigfoot. Bigfoot. You know, you got me there, man, because 
I got a feeling this whole thing was almost like it was predetermined to happen. You know, to rattle this guy's cage and so, so okay, yeah. yeah. So we're on the same page, but I'm sure the listeners yep. are thinking the same thing. Like, was this half flesh and blood? Was it all spiritual? You know. Yeah, I think the whole thing was uh, derived from the spirit realm. Yeah, a bit of an intervention of sorts. That's right, to rock this guy's world. Yeah, it sounds like it did, too. <laughs> Can you, I, I mean, first of all, the whole thing, I get freaked out when I read about the guy sitting on the tailgate. Right. And the whole experience of the man walking across this four-lane highway and just coming right up to oh. him. I mean, when he extended his index finger on that map, pointing directly at, as the fella said, uh, Dennis, seeking Dennis, he was pointing directly at the area that I was planning to hunt in, having no knowledge of it beforehand. Exactly. So that whole thing was like, you know. Super weird. Super duper. Talk about getting your freak on. Yeah. And then he nods out against a tree, and the first thing he sees when he opens up his eyes is the head of a Bigfoot that he describes as a large watermelon end on end. Right. Oh, my God. Imagine your back is up against a tree, you're sitting down, and this is what you see directly in front of you, so close you can smell his breath. Mm. And then he's praying this prayer, and next thing you know, he's in the back of his pickup truck laying down and waking up. feeling the metal on his face. Unbelievable. So there you have it, I told you. Doesn't get much freakier than that. You promised it, you delivered. (laughs) (laughs) You remember Popeye? I am what I am. No. We aims to please. (laughs) It's enough just to give you the business. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. Uh, Oh, you remember it. I like listen. <laughs> I like the one where uh, they split up <laughs> the picture, and Popeye is on one of them old hand crank phones on the wall, oh, yeah. and he's talking to Olive Oil, and Olive Oil is in her kitchen on another hand crank phone saying, "Oh, Popeye." You know, and he's telling her, you know, you're so beautiful, I love it. And, <laughs> and next thing you know, you see Blutus, uh, Bluto, up on a telephone, crossing the wires. Oh, yeah. So then he says to Olive, when it comes to looks, you ain't there. You're a rag, a skank, and a hank of hair. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he hooks the wires up again, and she's like, Popeye, I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> she hangs up the phone. I don't know how you, no, remember you remember this stuff. Yeah, I love it, man. And then Popeye says, well, well, blow me down. You know, and he goes outside <laughs> and he sees Bluto coming down on the telephone pole. <laughs> I love that. that. I mean, these guys were whacked out that were making yeah, we're these cartoons. I agree off. with you there. All right, back so. to the podcast there, Popeye. <laughs> 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 
Well, that is an amazing account, Bill. I don't think we've had anything like that before. A little bit of a spiritual uh, intervention complete with St. Michael the Archangel. Yeah, just incredible, Wonderful. Deacon Dennis. Really cool. Woo! So, my friend, what do we have in our listener mail segment? Yeah, we got some good listener mail this week. Um, We're going to start out with an email from Philip. And Philip's subject is congrats. And he writes, WJ and KJ, congratulations on the 200th episode of the podcast. Yay! Yay! I've enjoyed listening to the both of you. All my best. Oh, and by the way, can I use your phone? I'm the normal <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. It's a lie. Philip. None of them are normal. Well played. Always go for the black eyed children. <laughs> I got to tell you, Bill, I just put up, you know, ring doorbell, video doorbells. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little nervous each time it goes off. <laughs> I'm probably the only one that has a ring doorbell that's thinking, there might be a black eyed kid looking out there looking in at me. Yeah, just staring into the lens. And I read all of the uh, instructions, and they assure you that it's only one way. But I'm pretty sure there's a footnote that says, unless there's a black-eyed children looking in at you. I see you looking at me upstairs. (laughs) Yes, why don't you put down that cup of tea and come and let me in so I can use your phone? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Good stuff. Ah, yes. Good old Phil. Our next email comes from Matt in Colorado. Okay. The subject is sow bear treeing her cubs. So female bear treeing her cubs. Hello, gentlemen. I guess guess he could be talking to us. Love the show, (laughs) and thank you for what you do. WJ, I heard you speaking recently on whether a female bear will tree her cubs to protect them. While I cannot verify that for grizzlies, black bears absolutely do. On at least a couple of occasions while archery hunting in southwestern Colorado, I've witnessed it. In two particular situations, I remember that the sow would usher her cubs up a tree with vocals to turn and face the perceived threat herself. On one occasion, I was the perceived threat, and in another, a large male bear was the offender. Interestingly, on both occasions, I heard the bears make some of the strangest sounds I've ever heard before in my 40 years of hunting. Thanks again, Matt. And Matt, that is a great email giving us some uh, insights from the outside world, and of course, I did see, I think I mentioned it on that podcast, you know, brown bears, which are the grizzlies of Alaska, I'm not quite sure why they don't call them grizzlies, but they look just like grizzlies, I was told mm-hmm. by the guides up there, the only difference is the diet, you know, because they eat so much salmon up there mm-hmm. versus everything else a grizzly would eat, um, but there I did see a mama tree tree two of her cubs uh, up in a tree because there was a male, big male brown bear around. So she sent them up in the tree. I didn't hear the different groans and sounds that Matt <clears throat> talks about, so that's an interesting dimension. 
but uh, the guide I was with described it as brown bear daycare. <laughs> yeah, brown Send bear daycare. By the by the way, did you hear the recording of these unusual sounds he heard from the bears? No. I have one of them here. I'm going to play it for you. Ready? All right. Hey, boo-boo, got any picnic baskets? <laughs> I swear to you, that's what the bear said. <laughs> Gee, Yogi. Yeah, yeah, so I so swear good. to you, that was the recording from Matt. I don't know, Bill. It's uh, and I fell for it too. I was thinking it was an actually actually a recording that I missed. That was an actual recording. <laughs> Why won't you listen to me? Some picnic baskets, <laughs> Ranger Smith. He knows. <laughs> well, is that it for our uh, emails? We have one more, okay, Bill, okay. and this one is quite graphic, and I don't know what to make of it. Okay. So it's from John Smith, which I don't think that's his real name. That's why I'm saying John Smith. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the subject is gunned down a Bigfoot while on a hike. Uh-huh. Was forced to do it. Was not my idea. Was the animals. I have as much right to be in the woods as them. I was hiking the John Muir Trail with a friend. And by the way, I know that trail up north of the Golden Gate Bridge in California. Without going into too much detail, as we feel that our privacy is paramount, we were charged unprovoked by us by this eight-foot-tall, burly, ape-like creature that was husky, muscular, heavily built, and musky odor. It was pissed off for some reason. <laughs> I only had time to react swiftly as it was upon us nearly without warning. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I had on my person a Ruger. 357 Magnum snub nose stainless revolver <laughs> with hot loads in it. <laughs> anyway, he guns this thing down. Crawl, it crawls off 90 degrees to the trail. He comes up to it and uh, it dies there. He's a little more graphic. Than yeah, that in yeah, the description. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm uncertain as to the nature of the Ruger. Snub nose three fifty seven revolver. <laughs> I don't. I, if I had a, a the snub nose three fifty seven, I don't know if I'd unload the six shots into a seven or eight foot tall bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you better save one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You you might need uh, the sixth. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, yeah, that was quite crazy. a show, Kev. Quite a show. Good one. Well, and folks. Well, yeah, thanks, folks, for listening. Thanks for celebrating our 200th episode. Here we are at 201. So we got a hundred, another 199 to go to 400. And uh, remember, folks, you know, if you've seen something, say something, or you have a tale to tell, go to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and hit the contact button. And I assure you, I will reach out to you. And by the way, if you should find yourself wandering around Kluchman's Rock, or anywhere else for that matter, you best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>